Good morning. This morning we'll be in Exodus. There, 26 and 27. Today at 3 o'clock, we're heading down to the Mullins house. We're dedicating it uh, to the Lord. Um, and it helps them, you know, helps the Mullins stay in Jesus. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know what happens to the house when you dedicate it to the Lord. I just know that nothing evil can ever take place there, right? Right? You're going to keep it pure and holy. But we're doing that at 3 for Habitat for Humanity. Come on out. He's invited us all out there. There's lots of snacks. Is that right? A barbecue, full boar, cheeseburgers, hot dogs. Is that right? Okay, all right. But it has been a blessing to the Mullins, and, and we're going to uh, bless it. And uh, uh, may God rest upon that place always, just like we pray for this place, that God's will would always be done here as well on these 20 acres. So 3 o'clock today. Um, in chapters 26 and 27 of Exodus, God continues to give Moses the rest of the plans for the rest of the tabernacle. We discussed last week the actual uh, two chambers of the tabernacle itself, the tent, um, the holy of holy places where the Ark of the Covenant would be, and then the holy place where the priest would come into um, to minister to the Lord with the lampstand on your left when you'd walk in the door, and the table of showbread to the right when you'd walk in the door, and then the altar of incense when you come straight ahead. That's where they would offer their prayers up. So we've got that down. Now remember, this isn't there's a reason behind this stuff. And sometimes we can skip over these things because, oh yeah, these are dimensions and these are materials, gold, silver, bronze. Everything has a reason. Every bit of it. God gave them this pattern as a mock-up on earth of what heaven looks like. You've got the throne of God. You've got the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant representing the throne. You've got the lampstand on your left here, which represents the Holy Spirit. You've got the showbread on your right, which represents Jesus Christ. You've got the incense going up before. This actual smoke you would see represents the prayers of the saints lifted up. I mean, everything has a reason. And then you've got this veil we're going to read about today that separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And this thing, depending on where you read, 10 inches to 18 inches thick. Now, I've always read it was 10 inches, but recently they've thought maybe 18 inches thick. That's a thick curtain. I don't know what that means. I don't think you can weave dimensionally. I don't know. I always think of a cloth. I don't know if there's just 18 inches worth of thicknesses added to it or what, but it's thick. And it's designed to be a barrier between man and God. It seems strange that God would design a barrier, but he did because... I think this is where most atheists and most agnostics get confused. There's a barrier for our protection. Because we're sinners, because we're flawed, because we've made mistakes, and God is perfect and holy, and He can't have anything like that in His presence, or we get extinguished. We die because of that. Being in the presence of a holy, perfect God as an imperfect human being wipes us out. It's our fault. We did it to ourselves. We made ourselves toxic. We cannot be in his presence. And so God, knowing that about these people and his perfection, made a way. That's what's so beautiful. We, we misunderstand the barrier. The barrier is there so that we could at least get 10 to 18 inches as close to God as possible. That's amazing. And we'll discuss that further 
and what's happened since Christ to that veil, who that veil represents as we get into Hebrews today a little bit as a cross-reference. So there's this curtain, and there you've got the holy place and the holy of holy place where God sits on his throne, and they would meet. And that's as close as they could get to one another. Now, we're going to move to the outer court here, the next phase, because there's some stuff outside. So you've got this nice tent, two chambers, stuff inside. We talked about it. You're going to have a brass lavier outside that tent, which is a huge bath that these guys would get into, wash themselves, the priests would daily and all that and so on. And you've got that, and that represents the sea that you see in heaven in Revelation. Okay, And then, uh, then beyond that, the next set, do you have a picture of that? Remember you had that picture? Sorry, didn't mean to do that to you. Um, then you've got this altar that's outside where they would burn the sacrifices. Okay, day and night there would be sacrifices burnt, morning and evening, I should say, uh, sacrifices burnt on this offering, and it's made of brass. Now, before you tune out or before you're like, okay, I get it, it's a mock-up of heaven, everything has meaning. So everything that's gold represents heaven, everything that's silver represents redemption, and everything that's bronze or uh, brass, they toggle between those two terms, represents judgment. So that helps you when God's talking about something gold, ding, 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 that's a heaven thing. When he talks about silver, that's a redemption thing. When he talks about brass or bronze, that's a judgment thing. I got that. And so you can kind of pick these things through. Now, so he's doing this mock-up. He wants them to carry this around with them. God loves object lessons. In Sunday school, we do object lessons all the time. We do sometimes in here as well, only because that's God's way of teaching. He loves that. He wants us to use our eyes, our ears, everything to learn about him, to know about him. He wants us to experience him. So we got it up there. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Okay, so there's the tent we learned about and outside and, and so on. That's, that's kind of how it looks. We're going to talk about this curtain first. Okay, verse 1, chapter 26. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen. This is actually the outside. Hold on. Uh, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. You shall weave them because you know in heaven you've got the cherubim that are flying around. So when you walk into this place and you see these things, you're going to see embroidered cherubim on there. Not to worship not as objects or things created in heaven that we're supposed to bow down to, but representative, like looking at a photo. Okay? So here it is. They see this. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. Remember, a cubit's about 18 inches. And the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. Now, he's going to describe some of this coupling with yarns and loops and things like that so that we understand this is very portable. It's meant to be taken apart, stacked together, put again. Certain guys would carry the curtains, some guys would carry the poles, some guys would carry the planks, the sockets, all these things, and these guys would just walk. And then God said, stop, we're going to set up tent. Boom, they'd set the tabernacle up first, unpack everything, do it all right, and then everybody else would line up their tents according to the tabernacle, okay? That's the center. That's the focus. They couldn't set up their tent city until that was established first. Okay, very important. Um, you'll see that later on in Jewish history also as they try to take care of their own houses and not take care of the house of the Lord first. Things get messed up and the house of the Lord goes into, uh, begins to decay, basically. And so, um, anyway, so they set this up first. So it's very portable is what they're talking about. You're very, very movable, very quick uh, to take down and to set up. And you shall make loops of blue yarn, verse 4, on the edge of the curtain, on the uh, selvedge. See, I'm not a sewer. So this is where you sewing ladies are like, yeah, the sewing, yeah, it's of course. And I'm like, 
I guess that's an edge. Carla, tell me, what's a selvage? Do you even know? Okay. It's a seam. It's a seam. Dixie, is that right? I got, I'm asking my experts out here in the, in the field here. Okay. So we got it. You shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's how it's pronounced. Of one set. And likewise you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in one curtain. And fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set. <laughs> that the loops may be clasped to, to one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold. Heaven. And couple the curtains together with the class so that it may be one tabernacle. So it's the gold, it's the heaven, it's the, that represent that pulls everything together, that locks it together. So, okay, basically it's a loop, and I don't know what the clasp looked like, but it might have been, you know, like a, like a T, you know, well, that's, how do you draw it? It's like that, and then you slip the T in and it kind of connects to the loop. Does that make sense? Probably not. It's okay, we don't know what it looks like. I'm just making stuff up now. Some kind of clasp grabs grass it okay um you shall also make curtains of goat's hair now this is the top to be the tent over the tabernacle so goat's hair first you shall make 11 curtains the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the width of each uh, curtain four cubits and the 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front uh, forefront of the tent Um, So like an awning kind of thing. Um, You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. And you shall make 50 50 bronze clasps. Bronze, okay. Judgment. Put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. Okay, so it's taken apart. Obviously super heavy. I mean, this is a big tent, super heavy, so you've got to break it up into pieces so you can carry it. So that's the idea. Otherwise, you could make it out of one big thing if it was going to be permanent and make it, you know, sew it together. But they want it to be taken apart. Um, let's see. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together. That may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains shall uh, hang over the back of the tabernacle. And at, the, at, at a cubit... On, on one side and, on, and a cubit on the other side. So that's the, obviously the rain uh, overhang, maybe. Um, cubit on the other side of what remains of the, of the other side. Of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. All right, that's, that's layer one. All right, stick with me. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent. Okay. Why would it be dyed red? Why red? It's going to be covered up by another layer. Who's going to see this? What does red usually represent in the Bible? Can you think of something red? Blood. So you've got the sin. You've got the judgment underneath those clasps, that goat's hair. Remember, goats and lambs get separated later on. Then you've got this next covering that covers it with the red, covers it with the blood. Okay, you've got a beautiful picture here What's of redemption here. So this red covering covers over it. And cover a badger skin above that. So the third layer is badger skin. Some say this is a bad translation. I'm not one to jump on that bandwagon, but why badger skin, I don't know. Some say it's actually supposed to be seal skin. And you'd think, well, we're in the middle of the desert. You're going to get seals from. Well, remember, they took everything from Egypt with them. 
It's very possible they took those with them. A bunch of seals of the Mediterranean there, right by Egypt there. So it's possible they had those. And the seal skin would make sense in the sense it'd be waterproof is the idea. But I don't know. I don't think it matters. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. So now we're going to do the walls, okay? These acacia wood boards. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board. That's big. Uh, and a cubit and a half shall be its width uh, of each board. Two tenons, not, uh, tenons, I know what those are, mortise and tenon, uh, shall be in each board for binding one to another. So you've got mortise and tenon joint, um, a dovetail is a type of that, but more, more than that, it's, it's something that would slip in like this. So you get your, uh, maybe a good example would be if you've got a really nice bed, your bed posts are there and your, your sideboards slide in. And so all the weight's resting on the wood. And then you just put a bolt in to hold it together so that it can't slide out. But really all the structural weight is going down on that wood. So super strong stuff. So we've got two of those. So when you put them together, you know, you've got, you're going to have two holes over here and two boards sticking, two pieces of wood sticking out and they kind of click together is the idea. Okay. Um, those are the those are the tenons or tenons shall be for each board for binding one to another. Thus, you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle, and you shall make uh, the boards for the tabernacle twenty boards for the south side. You shall make forty sockets of silver, redemption, under the twenty boards, uh, two sockets under each of the boards uh, for its tenons. So you set these sockets up all around. They, they probably look something like this. Okay, I don't know. We don't know. I wasn't there. Um, so it looks something like that. And you set the board in them as like a stand kind of thing so that that bottom can't kick out. Anybody knows that. You don't want that bottom to kick out of that board. So these heavy-weighted silver things are there, and they set those boards in there. You've got those all the way around. That keeps it from kicking out. The top's going to be held together by the tent, but the bottom you don't want to kick out from the silver. Okay, or the silver's going to keep it from kicking out. Uh, you shall make 40 sockets of silver. Uh, I said that. Um, and under each of the boards for its two tenons or tenons, excuse me. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, so same on both. And there, uh, the, and there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards. And you shall also make two boards uh, for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together. Believe me, we're going to get in depth here at the end of this chapter. We're not going to just read through it like this. Thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for the two corners. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. Very specific. God's very specific when he wants to do this stuff. Uh, I think that's important. Well, wouldn't 15 work? Or what about 17? Could we go beyond? Could we make it a little less? No, you can't. And the reason I say that is because it's so important that we pay attention to God. And we do exactly what he tells us to do. And don't go beyond what's written. Don't add to it. We don't need to add to it. And you don't take away from it either. It goes right along with uh, Revelation. He says, you know, don't add to this book and don't take away from this book. Because if you do either of those things, I'm going to add the judgments of this book to you or I'm going to take away the salvation from you. Very important. It's very important we do it just like God says. We don't get to make it up in a world full of religions and some Christianity that's just making stuff up as they go along regardless of what the Word of God says, because they don't feel, is usually their reasoning, they don't feel that's right, they're adding or they're taking away, depending on that feeling and how dangerous that is for us. 
Because all of a sudden now we've replaced God, we've replaced his word, and we've become God, and we've become the final word on things. We can't have that. There's a reason he's perfect. There's a reason he gave us the word. It's that we stick to it, we stay to it. As culturally difficult as it may be at times, but that's not where the trend is. We're trending this way. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. What he thought was an abomination then is an abomination now. What he thought was awesome then is still awesome now. You know, we always focus on the sin. It's still a sin today. Yeah, but you know what? What's also beautiful is honesty. What's also still true is, is, is the beauty and the majesty and, and, and discipline and all the things that he's given us on the positive side of things. Those are still beautiful and awesome today. And so when he talks about these things in detail, sometimes we can tune out because maybe we're a little bit used to screens. Maybe we're a little used to our phones. Maybe we're a little used to the computer, a faster-paced TV show. The reason we pause, the reason God's so detailed, the reason reading can sometimes maybe put us to sleep is because we're just not trained that way to think that way anymore. How much better we'll be if, yeah, we can do a phone. I still have a hard time figuring out my phone, but I'm, I'm still trying. I'm still doing it. Facebook was just mind-boggling to me. I was like, you mean everybody can see this? Oh, how do I make it so five people can see this? Well, you really can't do that, Dad. I don't, and I'm like, just mind-boggling to me, but I'm still trying. But then again, I can read through this stuff, and I can read through this stuff, and I can think on these things, and I can meditate, and I can pause, and I can chew. And it's so important that our mind, I think, can do both. We can go quick, and we can also slow way, way down and meditate on stuff. Slowing things down in a world that is rapidly, rapidly speeding up. I don't know if I can say it that way or not, but it is. It's going quicker and quicker. Now they're talking about this, this tube they're going to build, right? That pressure tube. You know how you can go to the bank, you drop that tube in, it goes, they're going to build one of those to travel in, you know? I'm excited for that, kind of. I don't know. Now, an accident in one of those things is going to be really ugly. I mean, it's going to be bad. Um, you know, car wrecks, one thing, but that thing's going to be, I don't want to be the, I don't want to try it. I'll, I'll wait a year or two after they get all the bugs worked out of it, you know. We're stuck in the desert in this tube, this metal tube. Ooh. <laughs> Speeding up, though. Things are going faster. It's very important that we do move along with that. I'm all for that. But we also remember to slow things way down when we need to. Our mind can only go that fast for so long, and God designed us. There's a reason we shut down for eight hours every single night. Some of you are like, I wish I could get eight hours. There's a reason our bodies just got to shut down. You may be able to go two days, three days without sleep, but it's hard. Even with Red Bull, it's hard. You're going to crash. Your body needs to stop. It needs to reboot. It needs to defrag. All that stuff has to take place in the mind. And so I think when God writes chapters like this, when we're so used to, and then Jesus did this, and then he went over here, and the way the gospel writers write it, you know, it really moves along quickly. Then he brings us to chapters like this, and he slows things way down to the details. There were times, and I, 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 it's, it's been a week since I brought up the Marine Corps, but there were times when, boy, you had to jump and go and move and fast. There were other times when they would slow things way down 
so that we remembered the details. Because both are important to be a, in combat. Both are vital. You better make fast decisions, but you better, when it's time, slow way down. Tripwires, snipers, things like that. You need to slow way down and be looking and thinking and absorbing everything around you. God's doing the same thing for us spiritually. Yeah, we can go fast. We can hear about these great stories. We can read the book of Ruth. We can go through Proverbs. I mean, talk about fast. Boom, 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 boom. Proverbs is like a machine gun of wisdom, you know? But then we come to Exodus, and he says, we're going to make 50 loops of yarn, you know? Okay, why? And can I slow down? Is this chapter hard for me to absorb? In my quiet times, am I allowing God to slow me down? I think that's important. So, we go through these. We read through these. So, where are we? (laughs) Well, I slowed things down even in a slowed down chapter, didn't I? You shall overlay the boards with gold. Oh, wait, I didn't miss the 28 middle boards, five bars. Let's do 26. And you shall make bars of acacia wood. These are, this is what's going to like hold the bar. So you got them this way, and you've got them tenioned together, but you want to make sure there's some structure to them, so you're going to put two bars like this over, like a fence, basically. Um, five bars uh, for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars uh, for the boards Uh, of the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold. So you've got silver on the bottom. You've got gold connecting them all together. Make their rings of gold uh, as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern which you were shown on the mountain. Now, here's the veil. The veil we talked about, 10 to 18 inches thick. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. I want you to put that on there, on this thing. You shall hang it up, uh, or hang, hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony of the most holy. Remember the the Ten Commandments are inside this ark. The mercy seat rests on top as the lid, and that's God's throne there. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side there. Okay, let me pause for a minute. Matthew 27, verse 51. At Jesus' crucifixion, it describes this event happening at the, ta- at the temple at the time. Now remember, tabernacle's the tent. Solomon builds the temple, a permanent building, later on. And so while Jesus is dying on the cross, or has died... You've got the earthquakes, you've got the graves opening, and then you had this other event taking place, uh, Matthew 27, 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple, that's the veil we just read about, was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Okay, so we've got this 10-inch to 18-inch curtain being ripped from top to bottom. It was never intended to be mended. 
We've talked about that in great detail before. We have a lot of uh, veil menders, legalist veil menders uh, in the church. Be careful of that. The veil was ripped and was never meant to be mended or put back up again because when Christ died, he made a way for us to come into that holy of holy place. The very fact that we could not come into the presence of a holy God because of our iniquity, because of our sin, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil that protected us was no longer needed because Christ redeemed us. That sockets of silver all around this place because Christ made us whole again, because Christ's perfection, his, his beauty and everything perfect about him, holiness, was imputed to us, was given to us. And now we can boldly come to that throne We don't have to hide or be hidden by this veil. For our protection, we can come to Him now because of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. Remember the book of Hebrews written by Hebrews to the Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. Beautiful example of who Christ is. Chapter 10, verse 20. The writer of Hebrews, probably Paul, says in verse 19, we'll start there. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God you see the importance of exodus and why it had to be this way you've got to put this veil up because I'm going to rip it 2,000 years from now because it's going to represent my son who I'm sending 2,000 years from now. I want this made, and I want it made thick and hard and difficult, and it's hard to hang, and you've got to lug it around with you because I'm going to rip it apart like I'm going to rip my son apart. And through his blood, you're going to be able to come into my presence. So important. So important. Verse 36, back in Exodus now. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. Chapter 27. What time do I have? Okay. That's pretty good. You can turn those lights off all the time. I don't think anybody cares about seeing. There you go. That's better. You shall make an altar of acacia wood. This is outside. This is this big square bronze thing I was talking about before where they would offer up evening and morning sacrifices. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. The altar shall be square. And its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. So it's kind of built into it. You can't bolt them on. And you shall overlay it with bronze. Judgment. Okay, that's the idea. That's the idea. These are the very horns that we'll read about later on where several guys will run in and grab onto the horns of the, of the altar. Okay, you won't know that now, but they would try to, you know, find sanctuary in the sanctuary. You know, they were wicked, terrible guys, and they'd run in there and say, you can't kill me, I'm holding on to the horn. And God would say, just pull them away from there and kill them anyway, because there's a reason for that. Um, you, 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 you don't, there's no base <laughs> when it comes to sin. You don't get to say base, I'm on base. No, no, no. Nope. Um, Sin gets dealt with. Sin always gets dealt with. It either gets dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ and our sins placed upon that cross, or we get dealt with and the sins rest upon us. Either our sins are placed upon the Son, Jesus, and He's taken our penalty for us, or we're going to deal with it, or He's going to deal with us. It always gets dealt with. You can't hide it. There's no base. So make this. You shall make the horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with bronze. Also you shall make it 
uh, its pans to receive its ashes. So there's, there's, there's this bronze thing, great, a great, that you'd set on top the food or whatever you're going to burn. And then you've got these pans underneath, like maybe you have in your grill. I don't know. It's kind of probably sacrilegious to even talk about you know, your grill. But there's these pans under here for easy ash removal. And then you pull these pans out. You take the shovels. That's what he's describing here. Uh, and also you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basin and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze. And on the network you shall make four bronze rings uh, at its four corners and you shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath uh, the network, uh, maybe midway up the altar and you shall uh, make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put uh, in the rings, and the poles shall be on two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards uh, as it was shown you on the mountain, so uh, shall they make it. Okay, now the court, the outer court. You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. Now this is a screen that's going to go all around this thing. There it is. So I want you to understand this, because I think this is where we can maybe, I got some license to spiritualize the text a little bit, so we understand this. If you're tenting beside this thing, on the ground with it, all the way around it, what do you see? All you see is that curtain. You don't see all the activity, you don't see all the things going on in there, unless you peek in through this front entrance here, which you're not supposed to do anyway unless you're a priest. So all you can do is see this curtain, Okay. And that's by design. Now, if you had a higher vantage point, you could look down from a mountain and kind of see what's going on, much like the view we have here. But for the most part, you're looking at a curtain that's about 8 to 10 feet tall. You could hear stuff going on. You know there's stuff going on, but you can't see it. And I think that's on purpose. I think that's why God wants us to live a spiritual life, a walk of faith. It is happening We know what's happening. We're told it's happening. We can't see it happening all the time. Several scriptures come to mind. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that we are in a spiritual battle. We see physically. We see our wives. We see our parents. We see our husbands. We see co-workers. We see enemies. We see friends. There are physical manifestations going on around us all the time. That's how we interact. That's all this body is. It's an interface. That's That's how you know what I'm thinking. I'm happy. I'm sad. But without this interface, you wouldn't know how I was feeling. So that's how God's designed us to communicate with them. That's going on all the time. But there's also a spiritual battle that's unseen. It's going on all the time. And it is veiled to us. We see in a mirror dimly. We don't see everything like we're supposed to. But we have to believe by his word that these things are taking place. And Ephesians 6.12 tells us there's a spiritual battle. That there's spiritual armor we have to put on. Fine. Buy a Glock. Fine. Buy some body armor. Fine. Buy a bunch of rounds for the apocalypse. Whatever you're doing. But remember... That's nothing compared to the spiritual armor you have to put on. Daily, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the sword of the Spirit. So important that all those things are on us all day long because that is the real battle. That's what's not being seen, but we're feeling all day long. That spiritual warfare is going on. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Now, he's told us that. We can't see him doing that as our high priest, but we have to know as we stare at the curtain that must be taking place on the other side. It's by faith. 
Everybody in, in Hebrew land outside has to believe that by faith the priests are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not all sitting down under the altar, making clanking noises, making it sound like they're really doing their work. You know, They're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing for the people. And we have a high priest that's doing that also. I can't see him doing it, but he's told me he's doing it by faith. I believe he's doing that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. That's the, that's the whole thing. That's, that's the hall of faith. It talks about all the people that walk by faith in chapter 11. But he said that's the evidence of things not seen. That faith, that believing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you want to turn there, that's really the, the one I want to focus on. Paul writes about this because he understands it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, and 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's what these weapons are for. They're offensive. They can be offensive, but they're offensive weapons. They're meant to pull down. They're meant to just wipe things out all the way around us. That's what these, all these dark things coming against us, all the dark spiritual things coming against us, He's given us weapons to defeat them, not to just protect ourselves, not just a shield of faith. But we've been given offensive weapons to beat these things down. We need to use them. We need to walk that way. Think that way. Pray that way. So important. So we have this curtain that God is building around this thing. Because although you can't see it, you can hear it. You know something's going on on the other side. You've got to trust that these priests are doing what they're supposed to be doing on behalf of the people. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, um, likewise, along the length of the north side there shall be hangings 100 cubits long with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits and their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east, east side excuse me, shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on the side of the gate shall be 15 cubits and their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court there shall be a screen. There is a gate, 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, made by a weaver. It shall have four pillars and four sockets, and all the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their Uh, sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 throughout, and the height 5 cubits, made of fine woven linen, and its sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs, and all all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Now, the lampstand. He's not jumping around. It's on purpose. He's switching to the lampstand now. Remember where the lampstand is? Inside. On the left-hand side, when you walk in, that's what he's talking about now. 
And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. God jumps to this, I believe, tells Moses to write this now on purpose because he wants us to know that this is going on and will go on forever. It's continual. The the ministry of the priest, our high priest Jesus Christ, is continual and everlasting. It never ceases. There is no end in sight. There is no time when he stops. There is no, uh, there is no next chapter. You know, This is it. This is the end. With that being said, with this ministry constantly going forth for this lamp that represents the Holy Spirit, knowing that this is the last chapter, the people around you or even the people in this room, are you, do you know you're saved? Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Are you born again? There is no second chapter. There is no other thing that's just not written here. Maybe there's plan B. Knowing that this is everlasting and this decision is firm and final, where do you stand with God? Where do your friends and neighbors stand with God? And is there an urgency then on your heart this morning to receive Christ? Or is there an urgency on your heart to tell people about Jesus and what he's done for them? Because the time is growing short. Pretty soon the chapter closes. Pretty soon Revelation uh, chapter 22 happens and we're done. And everything's sealed up and everybody's eternity is secured. Are we living that way? Are we walking by faith? Have we been caught up in the things of the world, the physical things, getting confused sometimes, getting distracted from what God's really called us to do, which is to be His light here on this earth? So important. So this morning as we close, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray with me to receive Him as your... You don't have to. It's between you and God, but you can pray with me. For this week, when you run into people that know nothing about the Lord, Take the time to share with them. There is no better time. If God puts it on your heart, makes a divine appointment, and you feel led by the Holy Spirit to do that, you'll know those moments. You're like, I haven't seen that guy in years, you know, or that gal in years, and I really feel like I'm supposed to talk to them. You know, Do it. Step through that open door for effective ministry. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these two chapters. Lord, in a busy, busy world, you slowed us down this morning. A lot of details... But it's all about one place. It's all about one thing you wanted us to learn of and to spend time focusing on, and that's heaven. You've designed it for us to look at constantly, to be a constant reminder of what it is, what heaven looks like, what's happening in heaven all the time. And although we're guarded by a screen, we can't see, you've given us a glimpse and you, get us, you let us look at the mock-up, the model of it, so we know that it's taking place. It encourages us, God. Thank you for that mercy seat. Thank you for that lamp on the, right, the left-hand side there that represents your Holy Spirit and light to the world. Thank you for the showbread table on the right that represents the, your son, the bread of life. Thank you for the altar of incense that reminds us that you do hear our prayers and you want us to pray and you've made a special place for that. Thank you for outside that burnt offering, bronze altar that you've built that shows us that judgment will take place that the flesh will be burned away and all that's left is spiritual things. Thank you for those examples. and Thank you for the priests that ever live to do these things, to, to continually 
always taking care and always ministering to you on behalf of the people and to the people on behalf of you, going back and forth. And we know that Jesus is our high priest. We thank you for all of this, God. Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, but they want to, they've never made you their Lord and Savior. They've heard of you, they've read of you, they've learned of you, but they've never had a a relationship with you. They've never talked to you personally. They want to do that this morning. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for making the veil that protected us from your perfection, and yet we don't want that veil between us anymore. We're thankful that your son died on the cross representing that veil and ripping that veil from top to bottom so that we can boldly come to you, our Father, freely, without worry, without fear. We can come to you, Father, in our time of need. When we need grace, when we need mercy, we can come to that mercy seat and receive it. We're thankful for that, God. So, Lord, we want you to be our Lord and Savior. We want to be born again. In other words, we want to be new creations in Christ. We don't want to be the same person we used to be. We want to be changed from the inside out. We don't want to look spiritual or act spiritual. We want to be made holy from the inside out. So God, would you do that? Take away those ugly things in our hearts and in our minds that no one else can see but us and replace them with your beautiful thoughts and your beautiful attributes and that that might shine out of us. So cleanse us, Lord, from the inside out, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, fill us with your spirit so this week we can be good representatives of you here on this earth, God, to those around us, that we would be that light and salt you've called us to be. Um, You say that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. You reside in us. We're born again. We're filled with your spirit. And now you want us to be this good mock-up, a good model, a good example of heaven on earth. So God, help us to be like that, Lord, to those around us. Full of the spirit, full of the fruit of the spirit, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.